there is no book out there about hey how do you do open source marketing right i feel like that's a title that should exist out there because it's it's very different from typical marketing this is contributor a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them i'm eric anderson joined today with Manish, who is the creator of DGraph. DGraph is something I've been interested in a while. Manish, maybe before we get into the history, you could tell us what DGraph is for the uninitiated. Yeah, so DGraph is meant to be a general purpose database with a graph backend. Very early on, we picked up GraphQL as the query language. And so with GraphQL becoming so popular, DGraph has almost like created like a new category called the GraphQL databases. That's succinctly put. Let's then jump into how this came to be. If I remember right, you were at Google for some time before DGraph. What made you want to tackle this project? Yeah, so I think I can probably give you a bit of my own uh, story because so my story is like intertwines with DGraphs. And right. I grew up in India, went to college in Singapore and uh, joined Google right out of college. Initially as an intern, uh, joined Mountain View. Right after graduating, I joined full-time. And for the initial couple of years, I was in uh, Google Zurich, even though I was supposed to join Google US just because of visa issues as usual. But I started working with the web search uh, infrastructure right from Zurich. And then two years later, I was able to transfer out into Google US with the visa issues resolved. So the story is like, I think, joined Google in 2007, 2009, moved out to the US back. And for the initial three years at Google, 2007 to 2010, I was working on web search infrastructure. And as part of the web search indexing team, and we were dealing with one of the biggest database installations that Google had. And this system actually contained all the web pages Google had ever seen before and all the content, the signals, and so on and so forth. So I got a whole bunch of experience building real-time distributed systems uh, from that. And then Google um, acquired this company called uh, MetaWeb around 2010. I started working with those guys to see how we could use Knowledge Graph. They brought Knowledge Graph to Google, how we could use Knowledge Graph in web search. And as part of that, I I led a couple of projects. And uh, one was to build a knowledge engine, something which could understand English queries and parse them and try to find relationships between the words in the query and understand what they meant. So for example, you could do stuff like movie starring Tom Hanks directed by Steven Spielberg or you could do Children of Barack and Michelle Obama, stuff like that. The second project I did was to build an equivalent of web search uh, indexing and serving system, but for knowledge. And so that was, Google had a bunch of these one boxes which had structured data with them. For example, if you search for weather in New York or movies in Mountain View, you get the weather data, the movies data. All of these data sets are being um, acquired by Google, and uh, they were running in different backends. And so the idea was that, hey, we have this knowledge graph, which has a whole bunch of data, and we have all these proprietary data fields that Google was purchasing, and we can put them into a single graph indexing and serving system, sort of equivalent of web search. So I was one of the tech leads for that project and uh, learned a bunch about how you would build a distributed graph serving system, which would perform really well, scale really well, you know, sort of low latency, high throughput system because a good chunk of the web search queries were going to hit that. So overall, I was at Google for six and a half years combined with the internship time. And um, 
learned a bunch about building a graph system and uh, ended up leaving Google around 2013, uh, moving to Australia, just personal reasons. And around 2015 is when I was looking at the graph space to see, uh, I was working on this project, sort of like a consulting project where I thought the graph system could be really useful. And I looked around to see, you know, what's out there. And I realized that even there are some solutions there, they are just not as sort of well-accepted solutions or they are not just as great as they could be. And felt like I had done this before at Google and I had surely we could build a better system, something which could scale really well, which would perform really well. And more so than that, I also felt that graph systems were being used just for as side databases, not as primary databases. Typically, people would use sort of like a SQL or a MongoDB or something for primary database and use graph on the side. And I felt like that's just not a great use of graphs. Like surely you can use it for analysis, but but more so than that, they can also be powering your, your applications. They can be your source of truths. And that was the inspiration to build dgraph. There's a lot there to discuss. So I mean, you've been doing this in kind of a broad sense for a decade or more, it sounds like, you know, this distributed graph serving knowledge graph related work, it sounds like. That's right. I think started in uh, 2010 and uh, it's still going on. And I guess I've learned a few things. Yeah. Well, and this has been something the world of the internet's wanted for a while, MetaWeb and, and semantic search and knowledge graph. Google's probably done the best job of it, Google search. You've also not only been doing it for 10 years, you've been doing it at kind of the cutting edge to a degree. That's right. And I think sometimes like, you know, I found myself sort of ahead of everybody else as well and ahead and kind of alone. Uh, And this actually happened at Google too. I remember like I built this uh, proof of concept about the knowledge engine and showed it to some of the search leads and said, hey, look, we can find, if you search for books by French authors, we actually like literally can show you all the books. We know exactly what the query is. We know so much about the results and we can slice and dice them in interesting ways. And the search lead was like, hey, uh, why don't you just like do keyword search at Google? And it shows you some web links, right? Because like Google as a company has built an amazing fortune serving web pages and early days of like knowledge, even the leadership was not convinced that they needed to do anything different, that they actually needed to give answers to people and take traffic away from the web pages. Now Google is all about it, right? Like Google tries to respond to as many queries as they can. And that's the whole knowledge stuff. Knowledge is like table stakes at this point, right? But back in the days, that was not the case. And so we had to do a bunch of convincing to try to put the point across that it's better user experience to be able to respond to queries than to just send them to web links. Definitely. Also fun to hear about, you've gotten around from Zurich to Australia, spent some time in India and, and now the States. Yeah, I've lived in uh, five countries and for what it's worth, uh, I really enjoy San Francisco. So I think I, I plan to now not move anymore. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I lived in five countries, uh, as mentioned, grew up in India, went to college in Singapore, then Switzerland, US, Australia, back to US. So I've seen a bunch of the world, seen a bunch of different cultures and also like kind of interesting to see how different countries see themselves. So learned a bunch from that. And take me back to you're in Australia and you're deciding to work on this. Were you sure you wanted to build a startup? Were you sure you wanted to build an open source project? Were you just kind of interested in building a database? Yeah. 
I remember like back in the days in 2006 when I was doing my internship at Google and uh, Bigtable was like the new thing there. And I was looking at it as like, you know, it would be great to work at Bigtable, to work uh, on Bigtable. And Bigtable is Google's, uh, the distributed key value database sort of which precedes MongoDB and Cassandra and stuff. Yeah, so I was always sort of interested in systems in general. Uh, but the way the it happened in Australia was um, initially I was just looking for a job in Australia and I looked around and I just could not find anything which was really interesting to me to the kind of work that I was doing back at Google. And so at that point I was like, you know what, let's maybe like do my own thing. And I did another startup before we got into a local incubator there, but unfortunately did not really go anywhere. And um, I think ultimately uh, was doing some consulting gigs to uh, pay the bills. Actually, the inspiration came from uh, CockroachDB guys. I saw them, they had raised around in 2015 from uh, Benchmark, I think. And they were building a spanner equivalent in uh, in Go language, and I quite liked Go language. And that's when I was like, hey, you know what? I'm probably one of the handful of people who have experience building a graph system at scale. Perhaps I could use my skills to build that. I love this idea that in some ways there were there were constraints that put you down this path. It, you know, if there had been a great job for you, you'd probably be, you know, building distributed stuff at Twitter out of India or something. But instead, we, we have the benefit of you having built DGraph for us. So I'm, I'm glad the cards fell where they did. That is right. I think if I had a company that I really could have given me something equivalent to what I was doing back at Google, I, I would have most likely joined it, particularly after... After the first failed startup, I just wanted to work on like really interesting, challenging problems and work in open source. And so anything which would have come would have made it easier for me to like not pursue DGraph, but to just go join them. Great. Let's start talking about DGraph. It's got a lot of interesting subcomponents. I know at some time along the way you developed Badger, which I think is also interesting of, of its own. Where's the right place to talk about how DGraph got started? Yeah, maybe we can start with DGraph's own story. And I think, as I mentioned before, so I felt like, yeah, we could actually have a better database, but like, does it make a better company? That was actually not clear because in Australia, I think uh, we didn't have a lot of precedence of like open source companies doing really well, particularly very highly technical sort of companies in the same sort of database or systems infrastructure space. And it was a unique decision because... I remember like saying to some friends that I made there and telling them that, hey, I want to like build this DGraph open source uh, database. And they were just like, how will you ever make money? And I was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll, I just had to figure it out later. Turns out open source has a very good way of making money and it's pretty established in the Valley, but that knowledge was not there back in Australia. So it was a bit of a risk there. But the other thing which happened at the same time was um, Facebook had come up with GraphQL back in, I think, June of 2015. And I looked at it and I quite liked it. And I felt like, you know, compared to other graph systems, I didn't as much enjoy the query language, query languages out there like Cypher or Gremlin. And I felt like GraphQL is the is sort of the modern language for, for today's developers, you know, returning the data in subgraphs, in JSON, it's just so much easier for somebody to consume it and sort of took the bet on on GraphQL and GraphQL has like done so well over the last like four or five years. 
we obviously had to fork it slightly to make it work for a graph database. But even the fork, we have gotten a lot of appreciation for just how easy is it to understand and how simple is it to work with, and yet being able to run really complex queries on it. And how about your first kind of users of dgraph? I think it's always interesting how people are able to get people to start using projects as they're building them. Do you just kind of put it out there and people come find you? Or did you have some ideas of folks you could take this to and see if they want to kick the tires? That was an interesting one, right? Because there is no book out there about, hey, how do you do open source marketing? Right. I feel like that's a title that should exist out there because it's it's very different from typical marketing. And so we actually kind of had to just learn on our own way. And DGRAF is an extremely technical uh, project with databases. It's generally understood that database startups have a, a long incubation period. So I would say like it really took us like four years to actually build something which is stable and which works really well across the edge cases. We were actually the first ones to have done Jepson testing for a graph database. But I think the early days I remember, like we created a community on Discourse and at the same time we created a community on Slack. And we would just just like watch both of them and anybody who comes up, we would talk to them. We will, any, any bugs that they would talk about or any features that they might need, we would just like go build them. And I think one of the, the most common feedback that we used to get was, wow, you guys are really fast. You know, I talked about it yesterday and today you already have it. So that's how we kind of like aimed at building the community. That was the one big aspect. And the second big aspect was to write some interesting blog posts, which would get picked up. Like we were on the cutting edge of Go language as well at the same time. And so we were learning things that other Go developers might not know. And so we aimed at writing interesting blog posts, which get picked up. And the idea for all of open source marketing is not to sell to developers, but to give them interesting information, interesting knowledge that might be helpful to them and hope that they find uh, your product exciting and start using it. Yeah, it's generally the take with community marketing, you know, open source or otherwise, you give a little value to the community and, and it builds goodwill and drives attention and people discover you for the points that are valuable to them. Yeah, and you kind of become like a bit of a thought leader as well. Like people appreciated what we wrote about and they felt like, yeah, DGRAF is like, you kind of build like this engineering respect from the developers. And that actually like translates also in them believing that, yes, you should be able to build a good product because in general, you guys are doing pretty solid engineering. Maybe something that doesn't go widely understood or appreciated is that particularly for databases, but any kind of big infrastructure dependency or tool, it's often hard to do a proper assessment on it. And so decisions to adopt something are largely built on trust. Like I trust that this team is doing it the right way. You, you won't know until you've reached kind of some volume of usage, whether this is the most efficient or the most resilient piece of infrastructure. And so I think largely people make decisions based on trust of the team and kind of some external signals what they're going to get at the end is valuable. Absolutely. I think like you see it in so many places, right? Like, for example, even take GraphQL, right? A lot of the GraphQL adoption is being driven by the fact that, hey, Facebook is using it, right, in production, and it's working for them, so it should work for us. Or, um, hey, Google is using Kubernetes, and these are some of the smartest engineers out there, and uh, therefore it should be a good software, right? Some of the uncertainty around new technologies, it gets mitigated, by the trust that you can have in the company or the people behind that software. Great. 
So you're building these, you have kind of a nascent community in DGraph and help me understand up until this point, you've largely built this on your own. Who are the people that kind of chip in and help along the way? One thing that I think is a common uh, misnomer is that people feel that like you do open source to get external contributions. Like, of course, you get external contributions always in open source. But if you look at most open source softwares, like I would say like 90% comes from a select few group, which is the core group. And then the rest 10% is from the rest of the wider community. And so that's true for many open source softwares. And that's true for DGraph as well. So in our case, because we would also funded pretty early on uh, by VCs. A lot of the folks who are the core contributors of DGraph uh, were employed by DGraph Labs. We do get tons of contributions from the community as well, but um, they are more in the tail of the contributions. So in terms of like the major contributions from myself, from the people at DGraph, and some folks were no longer at DGraph, but particularly at Badger, I think we got some really amazing contributions early on. And... Um, they're no longer at DGraph, but they made some solid contributions there. So your story is kind of unique in terms of navigating the GraphQL community. As you're building this product, you're also, you had to kind of extend GraphQL to meet your needs initially. And then with time, you, you found ways to kind of more natively support the protocol. I'd be curious to understand how, how that works. Is there a GraphQL kind of board that you go to to discuss your ideas? Or do you just kind of shout them out on Twitter and see what, how do you kind of navigate collaborating with another kind of open community, especially around a, a kind of protocol or a API like GraphQL? We sort of like dropped some balls there. Like we did not, when we realized that GraphQL seems to not fit the bill for a graph database, particularly the kind of things that we wanted to do was, you know, with, with functions, style querying and, uh, and variables and so on and so forth. And I think we probably tried to initiate initially some conversations with the, with the group, but, uh, you know, we were in Australia and and it was early days of startup and we were just going full steam, making sure that whatever we use, we are tackling that. At the same time, we're also looking at other graph systems and looking at what kind of functionality do they provide and what we should be building. We, I think, uh, decided to fork it and we did not really engage in too much discussion with the founding committee for GraphQL. And uh, I think... We definitely should have done that probably. At the same time, our needs around the fork of GraphQL and the GraphQL spec needs are also quite different. Stuff like, you know, variables that we support and uh, aggregations and all that stuff. Not everybody who wants to adopt GraphQL needs that. And therefore, like all of these advanced features, they might never make it to the official spec. But I think what we have done now is to support the official spec as well. So it works very well with the GraphQL ecosystem at the same time, still maintaining our fork and still uh, sort of improving it. Great. Well, maybe we can shift gears and talk about kind of more near-term things. You've had an exciting year at DGraph. I'd love to hear about any milestones you wanted to speak to and where the project is headed from here. Yeah, DGraph uh, this year has been extremely exciting. Uh, and I think we launched the official GraphQL spec integration uh, in quarter one. Then quarter two, we launched the private uh, beta for uh, slash GraphQL, which is the GraphQL backend as a service. And I think in quarter three, which is right now, we are doing a GraphQL conference uh, next week. And in fact, we actually are going to get Scott Kelly, the NASA astronaut who has lived in space the longest, 
come and uh, have a chat with us in the keynote. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Scott Kelly, that's exciting. This sounds like quite a thing you're planning. <laughs> I imagine it's, it's a different muscle for the team. You know, you've been building distributed systems is a little different than organizing events and conferences. Yeah, we are doing a lot of new things this year, I think, because we have such a complex distributed system. It's I actually personally think it's it's more complicated than Spanner, right? But I'm not like, you know. But anyway, so uh, we have been very much focused on the backend. And this year, we started to focus on the front-end community as well uh, with the GraphQL and build some tutorials around React and all that stuff. And now we are building a muscle around marketing and putting together a really great uh, conference for GraphQL. And we actually like called it GraphQL in space, and the reasoning for that went like, hey, you know, if we are attached to a city, we have to have the conference in that city for the rest of the conference's life. But what if we have a conference which we can hold anywhere? Um, and we were like, hmm. So that's how GraphQL in Space came about to be. And uh, and my marketing team did some amazing job. And I don't know how, but they got Scott Kelly to confirm that he's going to be uh, coming to the conference and uh, we'll talk a bunch about space. Sounds out of this world. Absolutely. At the same time, we're going to be doing a launch for slash GraphQL and make sure that it's kind of interesting for us because we have been keeping track of GraphQL for a while and we are the only sort of database out there which sort of like natively supports GraphQL. And yet we have sort of maintained a small distance because of our fork around it. And uh, now we are really excited to like go back in the GraphQL community and sort of like engage with them again. You know, one of the things I'm, I think I'm learning on this discussion that maybe we haven't teased out before is that there's communities of people and we sometimes associate communities with projects, but they're also just kind of, you mentioned Go developers earlier and now GraphQL kind of uh, enthusiasts. And I imagine as you try and describe your project, it can help people kind of pattern match and make sense of you if you're able to help them see your project in light of their community. You can create content for Go developers around interesting things you're doing in Go. And then later you can kind of describe how you're doing the GraphQL spec and bring in uh, that community of users. Absolutely. You know, sometimes like uh, I have a hard time explaining this to outsiders, right? Because we are like, hey, we really like the Go community and and um, we get a lot of like, actually we get a lot of leads from the Go community as well. Because people like Go, they know about Badger or they know about Ristretto, our cache system, or they just generally because we are popular in the Go world. Like, and then they come to know about Dgraph and they're like, you know what, I could use this project. I could use this in my in my project. But at the same time, they don't have to be as excited because at the end of the day, it's a database and they can talk to it in any language they want to. They don't have to be Go developers to use it. But still, I think just because there's a sense of community around the fact that whoever is using Go is part of this community. It's a bit of an intangible feature that plays very well for project adoption. I have to ask because sometimes we get some great stories kind of going back a bit as you people showed up to use the project and as you found new use cases and users, are there any surprises every now and then? You know, you find somebody you don't expect doing something you wouldn't expect with your project or maybe just kind of a, a favorite use case along the way. Absolutely. You know, like early on, I remember like this is 2017, we were talking uh, to this relatively big company. They wanted to use DGraph instead of using Elasticsearch. And I was like, wow, that's an interesting use case. At one level, as an engineer, like like we designed DGraph to be quite like a search engine because that was my experience. And um, in fact, DGraph is almost like, I would say, a search engine acting like a database. But we did not realize like, 
how obvious it was also to the users uh, because some of the functionality that we have is what people expect from Elasticsearch. And so they were trying to like use DGraph instead of Elasticsearch. And I was like, wow, that's a very interesting use case. And I think over the years, like many people have asked us, hey, can I use DGraph as a time series database? And we're like, yeah, we, we do have pretty good date time support from very early on. And we do some amazing, like interesting date time indexing. But these are the two use cases that I felt like they were sort of not how we had planned or not how we had a sort of designed for, but happened to be because of the design that we put in place. So you're saying you didn't design for them, but you designed for other things and it just kind of it still worked. It, yeah, it just kind of fit. Awesome. Manish, I loved your uh, comment at the beginning that you've, whether by design or otherwise, kind of ended up living in the future a bit, maybe ahead of the world. And you, you've been living in kind of this database land and GraphQL for a while. Give us your perspective on where this where this ends up. What will GraphQL and databases look like in the coming years? So for example, GraphQL and a graph database, like we create this, this unique intersection that is not so obvious to people outside of DGRA perhaps, right? Because uh, a lot of people use GraphQL with anything really, right? Mac to services, with SQL, with MongoDB perhaps, with, uh, uh, with REST APIs, because GraphQL can be a gateway to almost anything. At the same time, we are seeing sort of like more and more uh, storage systems around GraphQL. And I think what what people are not realizing right now is that the kind of problems that they're seeing with GraphQL are the same graph database or graph system problems that people in the graph area have known for a while. For example, the N plus one problem where you make too many iterations if the result set increases, or uh, some of the caching problems, or some of the latency problems. And now I'm hearing advice that, hey, if you're using GraphQL, don't go more than like three levels deep in terms of your queries. Like these are exactly the same problems that graph systems have had and have been trying to solve for for a while. So like DGraph already solved the N plus one problem and the query depth problem and so and so forth. But these are becoming more obvious now to the graph QL community, and some of them actually like are, are actually blaming GraphQL for it. When GraphQL is really just a spec, it's not a system. So it's just really about how you build that system to make sure that it works for those and tackles those problems. And so I feel like the intersection of graph database and GraphQL would become a lot more obvious in the future than it is today. What I think is interesting about your work is that there's been this craze for the last five years around like multi-model databases where you can have a single data storage with lots of different APIs to access it. And what you helped me see is that we can use GraphQL to do graph queries. Other people have shown GraphQL in front of relational databases. And we can use GraphQL in front of time series, as you mentioned. Increasingly, I'm like not sure we need one data representation with lots of APIs. We just need GraphQL. And we can solve all our problems with that API. That could be true, right? Um, at least, at least GraphQL makes it easier for anybody to adopt the system without having to worry about how is the data being stored in the back, right? Almost like the Firebase style, where you are getting a very nice API and uh, and Google takes care of the storage for you. Uh, so GraphQL can be used in that way. But I think some of the problems with GraphQL arise from it's a dual edge sword, right? Because GraphQL is simple. And that's why it's great. But GraphQL is simple, and that's why it's not so great. So you can't express a lot of things in GraphQL as well because of its simplicity. And therefore, you cannot make 
like harder queries that you might want to make from, let's say, a, a graph database or a time series database or, you know, any of those specialized systems. But at the same time, because it's easy, you can easily get started and you can like go quite a distance. So I think like what I see happening is perhaps uh, people write uh, extensions to GraphQL to do things like, let's say, aggregations or do things like variable assignment, calculation, and so on and so forth. Or perhaps like just having better ways to do custom logic at the server server side. Um, so GraphQL can just, you can just create GraphQL functions which do the complex stuff that you want to do and the client still calls that function. I'm excited about the conference and the upcoming launch. Maybe just to wrap things up, you can tell us what you look forward to going forward and ways anyone in the community or listeners could get involved if they're interested or, or what they should keep an eye out for. Uh, I, I really look forward to engaging with the GraphQL community. I think uh, it's it's very it's I think one thing I've noticed different from uh, uh, I would say the backend community and the GraphQL sort of community is that GraphQL community is a lot more visible. They write more tutorials. They write more, create more videos. You know, they're just like a lot more engaged and create more content. And uh, so I really like look forward to seeing more people like um, you know use something like slash GraphQL and and writing about it. And also, I think I would say like slash GraphQL is actually almost addictive because once you start to use it, you actually don't want to like go back to how you were doing things before. And uh, so I actually like really, I'm eager to see like, uh, we're actually also running a hackathon uh, soon. And so I'm eager to see like what's the kind of feedback we get from the hackathon and how we could improve uh, slash GraphQL. Fantastic. Manish, any, any parting words? I Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to have you. Uh, one last thing I would say is uh, the conference is happening uh, Thursday. Uh, so please uh, um, do join and you'll get to hear some uh, out of the world talk. Thanks for having me. You can find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. Contributor.